What's up? My name is Ryan Shepard, and you're listening to episode five of the Dear Charlie podcast. This is day six of this social activity experiment, whatever you want to call it. And we're recording this episode a little bit later than normal, just because I woke up late and I worked until 10 o'clock. So this is when you're getting the episode. If you decide to listen to it, thank you as always. If you haven't heard the previous episodes, I encourage you to go back and listen to them. They might provide a little bit of context as to what this podcast is about, why it's named, what it's named, and so on and so forth. And just give you a little bit of background as to why I'm doing 100 episodes in 100 days, why it's called Dear Charlie, and a few other things. So I guess today's episode is kind of shaped in what I've kind of consumed tonight, which is like most, like a lot of other people, I shouldn't say most other people, but a lot of other people have been watching this documentary on ESPN and Netflix called The Last Dance. And it just follows, it uses Michael Jordan's 97-98 six championship run with the Chicago Bulls as a focus point to talk about Michael Jordan's entire career. And in doing that, they use a lot of, for those who don't know, um, and before the 97 season, the head of NBA Entertainment, led by a man named Ann Silver, that may be a name that's familiar to you. If it's not, he's now the NBA commissioner. He approved cameras to have unprecedented access to Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls because it was widely believed and correctly predicted that it would be the last time that that core of Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Phil Jackson, and so on and so forth would be together. So they kind of wanted to document that because at that time they were going for six championships, second three-peat, and that was just unprecedented in the history of basketball um, in the modern NBA, so I would say post, I would say post, um, like leading it from the Magic Bird era on, being the modern NBA, three peats have only really happened once or twice. It, it it's not something I can't think of off the top of my head the exact number. I can think of um, the Lakers, the Warriors. I believe did it. Um, I think maybe the Celtics may have done it. I, I don't remember correctly. Uh, I'm an NBA fan, but I'm not an NBA historian in the way that I'm, I would consider myself a boxing historian and that I can just rattle off facts. Um, but I have a general knowledge as I guess I would say I'm above the, in terms of my knowledge of the NBA, I'm above the casual fan, but I'm not like, you know, a journalist or I'm not just keeping up with it or just an avid NBA fan in that sense. But in watching this documentary and just getting to see Michael Jordan, uh, I'm kind of in putting this context into this podcast. And I guess my question for today would be, I would ask my dad, did I handle the situation in the correct way? And we'll get into what the situation is in a minute. But as a young kid, um, I was born in 1995. So when this was happening, I was two, two to three years old. So I don't have that great of a memory, if any memory. Um, I think my earliest basketball memory of just watching things would probably be, um, I want to say, what year was that the Lakers and the Blazers um, played in the Western Conference Finals? Like, that was the first, like, vivid memory. Like, I remember being in the car 
um, driving home, I believe it was one of those games and hearing that um, on the radio, I believe it was on NBC. There was a game on NBC back when the NBA was on NBC. And just hearing that, and I, I, that's probably the first vivid basketball memory that I have. Um, but from a very young age, like a lot of kids, specifically black kids, um, basketball was a big part of my life. I My first dream as a kid was to be a basketball player. And I kept my dreams as closely related to the sport of basketball for a very long time. At one point, when I realized that I probably, if I, my mom was, was big on backup plans. Um, so she had us think that, like, if you're not going to play in the NBA, what else would you do that may be related to basketball? So I thought I could be a statistician. And um, that's something that obviously did not come true, as you can hear me talking to you right now, because I was... It's not that I was bad at math. I was good at math to an extent. But once we started hitting, I would say I was an above average math student up until I got to my junior, senior year of high school. And that's kind of when you start to like you start you start to determine who's good at math to being who's great at math and like like seeing those differences and those certain types of things. Um, and that's kind of when I pivoted into what I do now, which is writing. Um in entertainment and things of that nature. So that's when I kind of pivoted. But up until that point, I was a huge basketball fan. I played basketball. Um, I think the only like travel team that I ever made, like from like my school's probably like the, I think it was the fourth grade. Like outside of that, I never really played travel basketball like that. Like I just didn't. Um, partly it was in middle school because I, in high school, uh, for high school, I went away to a boarding school. And so in seventh and eighth grade, I was part of this program called New Jersey Seas. And that took up a lot of my time. And it kind of, not to say that I think I would have made the basketball team. I don't know. Because I think in seventh grade, my basketball, middle school basketball team, I think they won the state championship. Or they played for the state championship. They was a really good team. But I think in seventh and eighth grade, like that, I didn't even try out for the team. And then when I got to high school, I didn't make our freshman basketball team my sophomore year. I got really close. I think I made it to like the last round before cuts to making our JV basketball team. And I got cut really early that same year for our freshman basketball team, which didn't make any sense to me how I got that deep in JV tryouts and then got cut really early in freshman tryouts. But that's neither here nor there. It doesn't really matter. But I just that just goes to show like I, I was really big on basketball. I played on a number of different teams I played wherever I could because I just love the game of basketball. But basketball also provided me one of my, I guess, my first test of restraint. So I think I was I was either seven or eight, and I went to this um, summer camp. My mom worked during the day, and my brother was only like five years older than me, so he was only like 12 or 13. And she didn't really want us like around all the time at the house, like by ourselves, we had like a, we had a babysitter at the time, an au pair. And, um, she had her own things. I think like some of the au pairs that we had, like went to college, they took classes. So they, they needed like their own time to do what they needed to do. So it was just during the summer, it just made sense for us to be outside the house. I'm not sure at that point, um, what camp or what, whatever program my brother was in or what activity he was doing, but I went to his private school. I'm not going to name the school just for, um, I try not to name people, specific people, unless it's in like a positive light, 
or it's my family in that sense is kind of like I only have one mom, I only have one brother. Like it, it doesn't make sense to kind of try, try to like come up with fake names for those people, but for like fa- friends or extended friends or acquaintances or certain places, I'll try to keep it as vague as possible. But for the summer pr- program, I went to this private school that um, I would eventually have the opportunity to apply to. And you'll later learn why I didn't apply to that school when I was in the New Jersey Seas program that I just explained um, that provided me a scholarship to go to high school. But I went to this um, summer program there and I was the only black kid there. And it was very apparent that I was the only black kid there. And I had always known, like, I'm not one of those kids that got to a certain point, like they had like a flashpoint where they knew they were black. I kind of, I don't remember a point in not knowing that I was black. Like, that's just something I always inherently knew, primarily just because I grew up around other black and Latinx people. So, or Afro-Latinx people. So I just, I just grew up around that. And we kind of just always, like, the idea of being black wasn't something that was foreign or like I didn't know. Like, I was, like, I just knew I was black. I knew I was different in that sense. But I never really understood it in the cultural sense. I just kind of, it's just this thing I knew about myself. So... Being there, like I would, when we had like swim time in the pool, I would I would be by myself. When I did like arts and crafts, I would be by myself. Like I didn't really have any friends and I always kind of felt alienated um, because I knew some of these kids, the private school that we went to, I think they started in kindergarten and went through high school, uh, if I remember correctly. So like I'm sure some of those kids went to school together and being seventh and eighth, seven and eight, like you think like, oh, kids will be like, hey, meet so-and-so and and it's like easy it's not that easy to make friends as a kid like sometimes like it's just if they don't know you they're not like inviting you in unless they see you do something to like earn your way in and I thought my way to earn my way in to like trying to like find some common ground was basketball um and I loved playing basketball and I was I remember playing with this kid I don't remember his name but I'm not gonna give up his name here and here and now but um, I was playing against this little white boy who's around the same age as me. And I we were playing one-on-one. And I remember being there late because my mom said before she was working. So she was she was on her way back. And she, I believe she, at the time she worked in like northern New Jersey. So I want to say like Union County. I'm, I'm blanking on the town right now. But I can picture the office in my head. Um, but she was on her way back. So we were just kind of there waiting at the summer counselor's kind of waiting, and I remember, like, we were playing one-on-one with this kid, and I was beating in his behind. I think we were playing to, like, eight, and I was up, like, six or seven to one, and I was just, like, I, I thought I was, like, because, like, as a kid, you kind of, like, feel like the way to make friends is kind of, like, to prove yourself. If, if you're, like, an outsider, way, you have to, like, prove yourself, so if it's, like, being the fastest swimmer or being the best at math, like, you have to have something that's going to make you stand out, so for me, I thought it was going to be standing out in basketball because we all played basketball. But during the day, I would just play by myself because, like I said, I felt alienated. And when I would ever go around with certain kids, like I felt like I felt something off. And I now growing up now, being older, I kind of realized some of that is my own, may have been my own own social anxiety at a young age, which I now have now as an adult because like I always feel like I don't fit in. Like I always, I always get in the back of my head, even if it's not something that's real or tangible or an actual reality for 
with the situation, I think that in my head, and I tried to work myself out of that. But at seven, eight, I had no idea what that was. So I just felt like that. And even if the kids weren't treating me like that, I felt like that. But I learned later learned in the situation that they were treating me like I was an outsider. And the way I found that out is, I think I was down six. I was up like six or seven to one. And I did going back to Michael Jordan. I did this thing. That I saw him do in the video, which is now I know is from game six of the 98 finals. I kind of like pushed off a little bit and did like this step back. And I think I got back to like, it was like a high school regulation basketball court. So I was like, I shot a shot from like the high school, like, I guess, regulation three point line. And I, it, nothing but net. And I was so proud of myself. And I was just like, oh, I was just like, oh my God, oh my God. I just crossed him up just hit a three and and he called me the n-word and i i'll never forget that because i was like i think a lot of times people uh, they'll be like oh like if someone calls you that like my mom or my dad told me you better fight him my mom was never like that she never encouraged us my brother or i to like fight like she never encouraged that she I don't think if if I did, she would have been like super, super mad at me. She would have been disappointed because she's always taught us to like find other ways of conflict resolution. But I don't think she would have been like super, like duper mad at me had I like retaliated physically. But I know she would have been disappointed. And that's just like teaching kids at an early age. I know this now as an adult not to get into physical altercation unless you physically feel threatened and you physically have no other option. Teaches kids to find other realms of I guess, conflict resolution. And for me, at that point, it wasn't even a matter of thinking through other methods of conflict resolution. I was just so shocked because people would tell you like, oh, the first time someone called me an N-word, this or that, and the third, I did this to him, I hit him upside the head, blah, 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 blah. A lot of people are lying because I don't think anything really prepares you for that moment. Like nothing prepares you for that moment the first time someone calls you a nigger. Like, that's not, like, with a hard R, that's, like, no one, no one really prepares, nothing prepares you for that moment, because it's not going to come when you expect it. It's not going to come when the time when you're prepared for it, it's just going to come. And at that moment, I was just like, yo, like, what did you say? And he kind of just, like, walked off, and I'm walking towards him, and his mom shows up, like, right at the right time, and I'm not, like... Even as a kid, I kind of knew, like, this is not going to end well for me. Like, that's another part of, like, knowing I was black, but not fully understanding. But I understand enough to know if I, as a little black kid, go and knock this little white boy upside his head in front of his mom, I'm not going to come back here. Like, I, this, this this summer camp thing is over. So I just knew that at that moment in time not to do anything. And this is not something, like, I for me as a kid, like, I didn't. I didn't think of it. I thought it was like something that made me upset and angry to the point that I really understand it. But as I explained in previous episodes, I I have a problem with communication. Like this has not been a this is a thing that started when I was very young. Like and being able to voice myself in the moment. I can if you ask me about like as I've done in this podcast, if you ask me about things ten years or fifteen years ago, I can give you play by play because I've I've I feel like I have a pretty good memory, and I can remember certain things like moment by moment, and I can tell you exactly how I felt, process it. But in the moment with certain things, I have a really difficult time. Like that's why I always tell people like I need space, not because I'm trying to be 
difficult or push you away. It's because in order to give me give you the thoughtful responses that you want or need at that moment in time, I need time to process and think through certain things. Like I really need to do be able to do that. So for me, like I didn't really sit down and think about this or talk about it or write about it until like I got to college. Like, and then somebody asked me, like, when was the first time you got called a nigger? And like I had never really thought about it because it's not something growing up prior to me getting to high school, I was in a school that was predominantly black and Latinx from kindergarten through eighth grade. Like it, it started to get more black and more Latinx population started to get bigger as I got older, but it was still predominantly black and Latinx from the time I was in like the first grade to the time I left it at the end of the eighth grade. So it was like maybe started when, when I first got there, it was maybe 40 to 50% Black and Latinx. By the time I graduated, it was like 80, 70, 80, 90% Black and Latinx. So like I never, like if somebody called, they weren't calling you a nigga, they were calling you nigga. Like it was, it was it's that difference. It, it wasn't, it was never used as a racial slur as a kid. And I, I can remember like the two times in my life where that, and it didn't happen when I was in high school. So, because I think kids at that point knew when we were in high school, I understand it. I understood, I maybe not understood the historical context of the word that I later understood once I studied American studies and got my degree and did academic research into this word and my own independent research into this word and what it means and all of that as a college student. But I understood enough at 15, 16, 17 years old to know that if someone calls you that, we have a problem. So, no one really ever called me that. And I, I don't really remember any of my friends. I think only one of my friends that I can remember had an, had an incident where someone called them the N-word um, while we were at um, high school. And I, that's the only time, like, out of, like, my, I guess, in my class that had, like, maybe 20 to 30 Black and Latinx people in it um, out of, like, 200, 250 students, which isn't great. But, hey, it is what it is. Um but just going back to what I was saying, it's, 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 I remember having that incident when I was seven or eight and that shaping like how I view basketball because I always, now looking back at it, I always viewed, I viewed basketball in a sense through a racial context after that. And I know that because when we would go play teams, basketball teams that were predominantly white, I, I took it personally. I remember one, I'll never forget one time we went, I forget where this game was. And it was a predominantly white team and they were kicking our asses, but they were talking so much crap the whole time. And I remember our coach getting upset. And I remember, I think his name was Robert, this other black, he was, I think we had two or three black kids on the team and he was ready to fight. Like I, at that point in time, I was just like, I'm, I'm not even going to give them the satisfaction of reacting to it to certain things that they say, because it's just like, you know, if you, if you, this is how you get off on, like, on your opponents, just to just talk crap, I was like, go ahead, have a freaking blast with it. Like, because, like, I, I always I always had that, I guess, growing up in a, I didn't grow up in a bad town or a town that was dangerous, but we, oh, I, growing up in where I grew up in North Plainfield, New Jersey, it was always this sad feeling of we were this small town we were a small tough town and not in the sense that we were dangerous it was like a dangerous or high crime rate but we like we it was like blue collar working it was it was just like that mindset of 
like you're not going to get under my skin. Like you may survive and this may not make sense to the people um, outside of this state of New Jersey, but like, I'll try to do my best to explain it. You may not like, I guess Beverly Hills would be like Hunterdon or something like that. It's just this high affluent town in um, New Jersey. You may be able to survive Hunterdon, Hunterdon like that, or at least that's the way it was when I was growing up. I don't know what the makeup of Hunterdon is now, but you're not going to grow up in, you're not going to come to North Plainfield and say stuff like that. Like you're just not. So it was like always that dominate. Like if you feel tough out here, cool. I, 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 that's great. That's great for you. So I never really took it to that offense, but like, when we would go, as I was saying before, when we would go play that like white team, predominantly white team, I would always look at ourselves as the underdog, even if they were a far worse team than we were. I would always look at. I got my job, my mindset going into those games, even as like a ten or eleven year old was like, I'm going to bust these white kids' ass because I always, I always, for whatever reason, as a young kid, I attributed that moment to all my later experiences, which now no is not healthy um but as a 10 11 year old so i process certain things and that, and that went for football too which is a lot more physical and i think that also had to do with like now i'm playing with all of my friends that grew up like i did so when we would go play hunterdon or a similar town like bridgewater we would always look at oh we about we about to we about to do something to these kids why because there was always that feeling of being an underdog and and I always felt like that. I, I, and I think that moment set in time kind of did that for me. And I think the other moment, now going outside of basketball, um, the other moment I remember being called an N-word or hearing, feeling like I heard someone called me the N-word um, was I was 13 and we were at the, the town was the Junior Presidential Youth Inaugural Conference, which is like a conference for leadership kids and all this leadership conference for like middle school students. And they had one for high school students. The program that oversaw it um, has since shut down because of a number of issues um, or at least rebranded because I can't find it. But um, we, I remember I was going back to my room one night and like this kid I had an issue with, I think we were trying to, at that time we were trying to talk to the same girl and he said something to me. I said something slick to him. And he said, <laughs> I guess that was his go-to. He was going to say the N-word. And I just remember, I don't know what got into me that night. Because as a kid, I'd never gotten into fights. As I said before, my mom was not having it. She was not having it. <laughs> um, if she came to school, if she had to come to school, there was a problem. If she had to come to a school for anything other than an award ceremony or, God forbid, one of us got sick, we had a problem. <laughs> so I never want to give my mom a reason to come to school. And my mom wasn't the type to hit any of us, but she didn't have to. That was the thing. Like she didn't really, she didn't really have to. Cause what my mom did, which I now realize is for me, it was probably worse than, at least for me personally, it was probably worse than getting hit was that she would take away everything. She would take away the toys, take away TV. Like you're literally in the house. All you can do right now is either go outside or read a book. And growing up as a kid, growing up in a technology-filled era, even before cell phones and that things of that nature, telling kids, like, there's only so many hours in the day I can go out and play basketball. I'm going to get bored at some point because, like, it's not like I was going down the street to the park. Like, I was in the backyard by myself. I was bored. Or I was going to read a book. Like, man, 
I like reading, but like at a certain point, like I want to do something else. So that that got to me. Like it was like the it was like the mind games of it. It was the mind game of it. But that's the story. Like it, I never really got into fights, but I don't know what got into me that night. Like I, I remember he saw me coming. He swung. I dodged the punch. I hit him in the stomach, and then all of a sudden, like it wasn't none of the counselors came, but it was kids. It was just kids. They kind of broke up the fight. Because it was like, if one of us gets in trouble, we're all about to get in trouble. And I remember that. I was like, I felt kind of good. I felt kind of good. Like I, I, like all those months of slap boxing and messing around in the hallway kind of played off. Because I got my two little punches in. And the fight got broke up. And it was, we was all good. So I guess those were my first, like, outside of, like, college. Like, those were, like, my only... I guess the first incident wasn't really a fight. It was kind of just like me kind of figuring out in that moment what being called an N-word, being called a nigger was. And then that second time, I was just like, I'm not having it. I don't know. So I, I, I processed those two stories differently because the second one was kind of just like, I I don't know what got into me that night because like, I'm not a violent person. I don't, I'm, if, if you've ever met me, like I'm not a violent person. I'm a very laid back person, very introverted person. And I just hitting people and I, it, I, it takes a lot um, for me to get there. And then the first incident, it was like, it wasn't the first moment I realized I was black. It was the first time I had to process being treated differently because I was black. And I'll never forget that moment because it was just like, how do I react? What I, so I'm not one of these people that have this great story about like how, the first time someone called me a nigger, I did this, that, and third. No, I don't have that story. I was a kid. I was confused. And it shaped the way I viewed basketball, the way shaped the way I played basketball. So I always kind of wanted to ask my dad. One, I wanted to ask him, is that healthy? And I think as an adult, I can say that, no, that's not healthy. But I also wanted to ask him, did I, did I do the right thing? In the sense that I kind of, I, I, held my restraint because I don't I don't think I think the other thing that made me kind of scared of telling anybody was like if I tell somebody I already feel alienated I'm really gonna feel alienated if this if I tell somebody in this school's left because as a kid I'm thinking about what's gonna happen to me so I guess that's where I was kind of thinking um but I just kind of wanted to ask him, did I handle that correctly? Did I did I do that? Was there anything that I could have done to make sure that situation never happened? It didn't happen, thankfully, while I was at that summer camp again. And as I said before, that that is a primary reason why I did not apply to go back there when I had the opportunity to go back there, other than the fact that I also was kind of dead set on going to boarding school outside of that. But that was the reason like, I didn't even put it on my radar. Because I I will always I will I always I kind of also want to ask just like put it on a general question is like how do people what are people's relationships with the place not the person that called the man word but like the place where they were first called a nigger because it's guys it's probably happened it happens as a black person in America like they it kind of happens it's gonna happen to you at some point or another it's the point of when. It's not necessarily of whether it happens now on social media, in person, whether you're an adult or you're a child, it's going to happen at some point or another. Um, but it's just, I also kind of ask people, like, what is their relationship 
if they've been called a nigger as a kid, like what is their relationship with that place where they were called that, like that specific place? Like for me, that basketball court, I've never been inside that basketball court, even though that basketball court is maybe 15 to 20 minutes from where I grew up. And I was never there from the time I was eight, seven or eight years old to the time when I was 18 and I moved down to DC to go to college. I never went back there. So I just kind of want to think about that. And just, I guess that's my question today. Did I handle that? Is there anything I could have done better as a seven or eight year old that I could have done better to handle that situation without making myself feel alienated? Because I think I had like two or three weeks left at that camp and I just did not want to be there as it was. So I guess that's for it for today's episode. I'm kind of surprised I'm with this long because I, I am recording this really late, but I kind of got off on a tangent. So if you've been listening this long, I thank you. I appreciate you. And I hope to see you again tomorrow in a couple hours when I record again for tomorrow. All right. See you tomorrow. Peace.